This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Hey, business storytellers. How's it going? Christoph Trapp here. Another live stream recording of the Business Storytelling Podcast coming your way. And we are live Periscope, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. It's still working on pushing the live stream there. Uh, fantastic to, to be able to do that on so many different channels. Um, of course, if you're listening on the podcast channels, make sure uh, you, you connect with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter, C-Trap, you can, um, it's obviously on the, the live stream on the screen here, uh, or just uh, Google Christoph Trap. Um, easy, easy, easy to find. When people say they can't find me, I say you're probably not trying hard enough, not that uh, common of a name, quite frankly. So today, let's talk about lovable brands. How do you become a lovable brand? How do you how don't how can you stop annoying people? Of course, we already had the episode the other day with uh, the CEO of uh, Lately, Katie was on the show, and we talked about how to do um, more with fewer annoying sales tactics. And certainly, it's hard to love a brand when the brand is annoying. Today's guest will bring him out of the green room here, David Yard, a book, uh, marketing strategist and brand builder. Um, David, how's it going today? It's going well. How are you? How are you? Hanging in there. COVID certainly is in full swing. Um, All my kids are currently at home, um, homeschooling. So um, teacher trap at your service here. Definitely relatable. Uh, our little one is doing her remote learning as well, and it's a pretty interesting experience. It definitely is. Of course, you know, I, I, I joke a little bit. My six-year-old is being introduced to corporate America because she has six to eight apps she's using for all these different things. And I'm like, you, you might as well get used to it because once you get to corporate America, you have a different app for all kinds of different things. So certainly that's nothing new to us, right? Oh, that is so true. Um, for me, their apps are so ugly, though. They're, they're certainly on the scale of not very lovable. Um, yeah, yeah. Way to make that transition. Thank you for moving us along. always appreciate that. So what's a, what's a lovable brand? I mean, how do we define that? Is it just about not being annoying, like you know, the topic Kate and I talked about the other day? Or, or how do you... How do you become loved? Is it, you know, Apple fanboy moment? I'm an Apple guy. I love my, I don't know about you, I love my iPad. We're live streaming this uh, from my iPad, Switcher Studio to Restream for uh, the distribution, but the production is in uh, Switcher Studio today. Um, how how do we get there? What's the, uh, what's the secret sauce, so to speak? Oh, I like that question. So I think at the core of it, um, a level of a brand begins with the person who's running it in charge of you know, key functions and features. Um, and more so, how do they approach empathy within themselves? Um, 
a lot of times we like to jump ahead to marketing strategies, marketing ideas, funnels, and all these good, you know, great things. But at the core of it, what is the objective? What do we value? Who are we? Um, what are we trying to do to leave people better than where we originally found them? Um, and I think that's really and truly where, for me, uh, a lovable brand starts. Um, and then it grows and expands itself, whether that's into the culture or the product or service, um, and then eventually onto the consumer. And certainly some of the ones that come to mind, I mean, are Apple, right? I mean, I love Apple, but I don't buy everything that they send my way. In fact, sometimes I'm not sure why we need another uh, iPhone. Honestly, it looks just like the one we had last time. Sometimes I know they're worth it. But, I agree. But right, every September there's a new one. What, uh, how do brands get there? I mean, is it truly about getting, you know, those products out there that people can't live without? Or is it, um, you know, is it something else? Is it the experience? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about when I get, I got a new Apple Watch uh, a few months ago. And quick side story, I actually used Delta Airline miles to buy it. So if you have a lot of miles and you're not traveling, you don't need it. Uh, that's one way to do it. I think Delta is the only one currently that allows you to to use it for merchandise but when it got here my daughter goes can i open the package i'm like why it's not even <laughs> yours but she she liked that experience right whether it was hers or not was kind of irrelevant but how do brands how, how do we get there so i would say brands get there by really you know tagging into that first thing that we said um, what do we want to leave people better with? And that experience that your daughter has is a great one. Um, I'm a Google guy. And for me, when the Google Pixel was coming out and each one comes out, um, there's this fascination, there's excitement. I want to see what they've included. I want to see how they packed it in there. Um, I want to see, you know, the fonts on the technical manual, as nerdy as that sounds. Um, all those little things add up into how you use it because the experience doesn't just stop at, you know, them building the product and shipping it and giving it to you and you opening it. It goes into your lifestyle. Um, how comfortable is it? How well does it fit with, you know, what you're wearing? Um, how does it fit with, you know, your activities? Like for me, one of the biggest things was always kind of getting it snagged in clothing or, you know, um, not feeling free enough to move. And, you know, all of those things are addressed in building a product, making it lighter, making it sleeker, um, giving you band options, um, allowing you to customize and personalize it to yourself. Um, all of those are key elements that the brand can pass on so when you wear it or where you use it, you're like, yeah, I could see this element. I could see this passion. I could see this value. Um, and when those things go wrong, that's when you notice that people tend to complain oh, you know, Apple didn't do this right. Um, or more recently, Instagram. Oh, it's now like the QVC of the internet. Um, and I kind of like it. It's like a way for you to see something that you like and you want to buy. And instead of hunting down 10 different like stores and hoping that they have a store online, you can easily purchase it if it's tagged or, you know, available on the platform. And so all of these changes aren't just like random ad hoc things that, you know, great teams put together and put out, um, or even individuals, it's based on a lot of research, a lot of observation, a lot of listening to feedback and saying, well, here where we are now, where can we take people along with this story and this experience? 
Um, and how can we build those products and those services? And jumping back to Apple and even looking at, let's say, Disney, you know, the streaming wars that are heating up. They realize that they have catalogs, they have resources. For Apple, it's a great way for them to really dig into that creative expression that they always want to push people to do um, and leverage some of that on their own platform. Um, so yeah, I mean, at the core of it is like, where do you really want to go? Where do you really want to take it? Um, and what do you really want your brand to stand for? How do you want them to feel with that experience? How, how many brands do you think are actually in their executive meetings and they say, how do we make a difference in people's lives? How do we make it better for them? I mean, there is so many meetings I've been in over the years where people, the only thing they focus on is uh, the bottom line. How do we sell something today? How do we, and certainly don't get me wrong, Apple is certainly doing that as to an extent too, right? Otherwise they wouldn't come out with new stuff all the time. But Apple, for example, I know you're a Google, uh, Google guy, but I'm, you know, I'm an Apple guy. I mean, Apple has really helped me uh, evolve how I tell stories. I mean, just think about what we're doing today. I mean, we're live streaming to all these channels from an iPad. The iPad is my production studio, right, basically. Um, and then I have, you know, it's just like, how would you have ever done that? I mean, I got it on a tripod. I got a little light on the top. So it has helped me do that. And then the whole production afterwards, when we push that to the podcast channels, guys, well, it's all on the iPad. I don't even use my computer for anything that we're doing. So I don't know if Apple has said that in their meetings. Hey, let's help guys like Christoph create better content. But certainly that's happening. How many, how many brands do you think even do that? Or, you know, is it just me that I've been into too many meetings where they only talk about the bottom line? You know, I share that similar feeling because uh, I've been in a lot of those meetings and you still have them where you're not really sure what the objective is. It's like, are we competing by pushing out a new product or service? Or are we really looking and saying, how can we you know, impact people for the better? Um, if we were to put a number on this, I would say, let's pick a hundred brands per se. Um, and you step into those meeting rooms maybe five of them, I would actually have this conversation. Um, but if we dig deeper of those five, maybe two are actually putting steps forward to do something. And maybe one is actually actively making sure that they have that as a key measurable uh, you know, metric in what they're doing. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of work to do to really incorporating you know, empathy and uh, <laughs> love right, for what you do, uh, for what you're making. Um, and these are really testing times for that where you're seeing people who, if they really love what they're doing, they're digging in and they're sharing it more. They're finding avenues to push those things out. Um, and if they don't, they're finding ways in which they could transition and change, or they've been forced to transition and change. And they're taking that opportunity to kind of tap into the things that's been putting off to the side. So um, yeah, there's all around a lot of work to be done in that area. And of course, there always is when people talk to me and they say, do you think my content needs uh, help? And I, the answer always is yes. Uh, content always needs help, even when it's perfect. You know, we can always make it better. We can even on live streaming, we can work on the lighting. We can work on the graphics. We can work on a hundred different things. The timing. I mean, don't get me started on all the different things we can work on. Um, so when when you mentioned the example of Instagram, what's interesting about that, I was thinking, so does that who who becomes lovable 
when Instagram makes an update? Is it so are we building a affinity or relationship to Instagram or is it the other brands, right? Because you use Instagram and I every Facebook product, quite frankly, I have a love-hate relationship with. I mean, I know I got to use them to an extent and I do. Yep. Uh, you know what I mean? But and like Instagram too. Yep. Like there's always something new. They got like the same philosophy. I don't know what their philosophy is, but it's not always to make it easier for me. I just, for the first time in a long time, David, I, I looked on Facebook here on my computer. Usually I'm on the app and I'm just like, doesn't look good. There would not be love at first sight. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, yeah. definitely not. Um, and it's funny you mentioned that. Like for me, I've been doing a lot of micro content lately. And so Twitter, um, stories, um, now with fleet, um, that has been a real great joy to kind of like, oh, here's like a quick thought around, here's what I'm doing. Um, because in the background of that, I'm working on a book. I'm trying to help clients get their stuff launched. Um, we're onboarding new clients. Um, we're adjusting our marketing strategy going into 2021. Um, we're developing platforms to launch and help people across all sorts of areas. And so really making sure that we hone in on the ability to truly tell better stories, not about what we do, but to ourselves about what it is that we're doing. Uh, because you can't justify away a bad ethical product or service. You really can't. Um, it's going to keep you up at night. It's going to haunt you. No amount of ad dollars you throw at it is going to throw away that blemish. Um, and I think that is a love-hate relationship a lot of people have with Facebook and Instagram and you know that whole family of products. Um, a bit deeper, I think I like my own platform. Um, what do I own? Is it my email list? Is it my you know blog or website? Um, and then this channel that I'm using are the streams that I'm pushing them out to. Um, and then how do I take advantage of those platform capabilities? So in this latest round, I would say Instagram kind of catered to that, you know, almost Etsy, Pinterest shopper person who is browsing around and looking for cool things um, or trying to stay relevant and say, hey, if we merge together TikTok and, you know, our old stuff, we may be able to keep our audience and as well move into a newer audience. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting, we have we've done a couple of shows on Instagram Reels and and one of them was very, very popular. Certainly, uh, a lot of people listen to them, tens of thousands of downloads for that episode alone. Um, interestingly, so I actually I love Instagram Reels and I've done some. And, you know, a lot of times what we do is we take a snippet of these podcasts and put them up as an Instagram Reel. No worries, David. I'm not asking you to dance. I'm not dancing. Certainly, you're not going to see me dance ever, <laughs> uh, especially not on camera. But but the Instagram Reels, because it's so new, you know, I've had some shows, 15-second clips, and it's not much. They had like 2,100 views. Like, it doesn't even say anything. So certainly, uh, Instagram Reels, I still think it's worth trying. Tw uh, Fleets, same thing. Fleets is a little bit different because you really can only see it on mobile devices. So, um, you know, and you have to upload from mobile devices, which is true for Instagram and LinkedIn as well. But... Um, certainly, I think it's worth trying. And the other thing is, I never really got into TikTok, but I'm certainly watching TikToks on Instagram Reels because most of them are basically TikToks. So I actually, I, I don't, I think that was actually a sure. good, good decision, right, by Instagram. But I don't know what would it take for Instagram and Facebook 
to get me to love him? Like what, like, how, and you said a lot of people, and you, I saw your reaction. You were like, oh yeah, I know what the guy is talking about. And you're not the only one who reacts like that. How, 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 what would they have to do if you're a brand like that to, to turn the corner? Or maybe they, maybe they don't care. Oof. All right. So on the off chance <laughs> that they do care and somebody from there is watching, feel free to hire me as your consultant to walk you through this. Um, but on Boom. a higher level, if you're a similar company trying to figure this out, um, I would say really look at where you've messed up. Um, perfect example, I use myself. Um, in our agency, there was one year where, you know, projects just keep going wrong. And I had to take a step back and really kind of look at everything. And when it came down to it, the problem was me. And so I was like, wow, you know, I'm so involved in this project and trying to get this stuff done that, you know, communication is falling off. So let's make sure that we have something in the realm to, you know, fix that. Um, in a much larger company, let's say like Facebook, we have the issue where, oof, at the most basic one, all of the misinformation that, you know, is allowed, right, and in a kind of a biased way. Um, the second one is, I would say, your employees, listening to them. Um, what are their concerns? You know, how are you helping to influence things that are happening all the way around the world? Because at this point, you're bigger than a few nations, you know, that are just kind of hanging out there. Um, there's no way that you can properly enforce and police all of this. Um, but at the same time, if you are guiding people to a little bit more ethical way of living in this realm, like Twitter has adopted this. If you're sharing a link, um, like I've read the link somewhere else and I'm on this platform. And next thing you know, I want to share it. Oh, should you you know, go ahead and read this before you share it. Um, I never thought about that. I was just going to share it because I've already read it. But maybe I should read this link just to be sure. Um, it does two things. It gives the person that's actually publishing the article a chance to actually have the full body of content somewhat read. Um, and secondly, it allows you to be a little bit more careful in what you're sharing. So there are a lot of use cases in the user experience world around more empathy on platforms, guiding people towards, you know, less hateful speech, uh, more, uh, you know, community inclusive language, uh, having proper community guidelines and community, you know, moderators. Um, and having more representative tone of that, right? Like it's very hard for you to pack people into one central area and say, oh, you're going to make insights and you know judgment calls on stuff from around the world. Um, rise those people up and bring them to the table and make them a lot more inclusive to represent their region, right? Um, in kind of a way, you have to create internet diplomats. So yeah, it's, it's, that's a huge one to undertake, but at the most basic, I would say those are the two things, you know, that really would help. Of course, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, some people, uh, some companies, they have more of a need to truly be lovable than others, right? But it's in, in a crowded market, um, it can be a differentiator. So that's kind of what I was thinking of. Andy Crestodina, who has been on the show, Crestodina on Twitter, uh, he was on the show way back when talking about uh, storytelling, blogging, etc. He shared this, the top 100 most visited websites in the U.S. I'm not going to share them all, but the top 10 we have... Google, Facebook, YouTube, Amazon, Wikipedia, Yahoo, Pornhub, Reddit, Twitter, eBay. So uh, Google, 17 billion page views per month. Facebook, 
uh, you know, close to 4 billion, YouTube close to 4 billion. So certainly Facebook has some of the market cornered, right? So I, I mean, whether they need to be lovable or not, maybe they don't have to because we're all going to go there anyways because we have to. But for a smaller company, especially like a startup or somebody, it's a differentiator. Just if you're nice, if, you're, if your content is worth following, I mean, isn't it? It, not even just if you're a company, if you're a person. Um, here's a weird story, right? Like, I, I like sweatpants. So I went over to, like, Marshall's, masked up everything, go to the store, and I'm like, oh, cool, look at this. Pants didn't have a tag. I kindly asked the lady, you know, to, like, run the price and everything, and long and short of it, I ended up with a discount off of the product because apparently there was a defect on it that, you know, I didn't really notice. So... The funny thing about it is just being nice is if that situation was flipped where I was like, oh my, look at this thing, it's horrible. I can't find the price, you guys should do better. I am pretty sure I would have had a harder time in having that whole customer service experience go down well for me. Um, and so if we take that to a company and you look at some of them who you know, may offer products or services, like, yeah, you're free to, you know, say you don't want to work with this person or with that person, but there is a proper way to do it. Um, be diplomatic about it, right? Like, you don't know who's watching, who may have seen that interaction and was like, oh, wow, they declined them, but they did it in a way where it's like, all right, cool, I respect them and I would actually work with them because I know this is what they're about, this is their boundaries, this is their values, this is what they're standing for, and this is what they're trying to accomplish. Um, so yeah, it does go a very, very long way. The other thing too, is we had Bob Berg on the podcast that, uh, just published earlier today. If you want to check that out over on the podcast channels, I throw up the, the URL there. It sends you right over to his, since it's the latest one. And Bob, of course, wrote the book on, uh, the go-giver, right? So you give to, to later mm. take get back. And the one case, yep, because yep. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very, Black and white, black or white guy. There's like, you know, what's the middle ground? I don't know. We'll fly over it, I guess. But, but there is middle ground. And he actually said to me, he goes, just because you're a go giver, doesn't mean you always say yes. Now, some people will mm. take offense when you say no, right? No, I'm not going to partner with you. No, I'm not going to give you my services for free. I know a lot of marketers can relate to that. You know, like, oh, can you do this for free? Can we do a one year trial for free? No, we can't. There is a fee to my services. There is a fee to your services. There is, you know, I, I got like some rules um, in, in my head, I guess. I don't know if they're even written down. But some of the things I do for free, you know, like when, when somebody asks me to come on a podcast, I, I never say no, like ever, right? As long as it's a 30-minute podcast. But if they want to do, you know, a four-hour podcast live stream, Probably not. I can't do that. Like I do have actual work to do as much as, you know, some of those things. But my point is, um, don't mistake people knowing their boundaries, right, for being rude or mean or whatever, because, you know, we can't say yes to everything. Ah, Matt, that, <laughs> that point right there is like, I wish more people thought this way because... Here's a good story. Um, I was meeting with a, a friend of mine, and he goes, you know, you're one of the most publicly inaccessible people I've ever met. And I was like, what in the world does that even mean? What is it again? Um, inaccessible? Goes, Pub 
yes, publicly inaccessible. And I was hmm. like, but, but also very accessible. And I was like, wait, what does that mean? And he goes, okay, okay. You're able to be in the middle of a crowd, right? But for some reason, only the right people at the right time seem to be able to talk to you. You don't hmm. intentionally do it. It just happens. Like, you're just naturally, like, and I was like, wait, first off, did you just sit and watch me in a room of people? Like, when did this happen? What room was this, right? Hmm. And then two, you know, you know, how did you come up to that conclusion? And so, you know, we're digging deeper and he was like, you just enjoy talking to people. And, you know, as a person comes along, you'll talk with them. And if they, you know, connect with somebody else, you'll be able to connect with them move off um and then you do this little thing where you like go off and recharge and i was like yes because i'm an introvert and he was like ah and i was like yes yeah. so introverts have a very special gift that um and especially now that everyone's you know some sort of virtual mostly uh we have this ability where we're able to really observe take in an environment research and dig deep into something um and then have deep conversations with our people um, and so for us, it's like, if we can fulfill that, uh, you know, ability to have that conversation, to connect with that person, to, you know, dig deeper into that thing that we're interested in, then life becomes a whole lot easier for us to manage and you know, move through. Um, but a lot of times, I think people find it hard just overall, whether you're introverted or extroverted, to really take a step back and look and say, well, what is the conversation that I'm having with myself? Um, and how is that impacting how I'm approaching my work? Um, how is that impacting how I'm approaching this business or interacting with my team? Um, and then when you start peeling back those layers and kind of even touching on your earlier question of how do people become more lovable as a smaller brand? Um, well, how do you differentiate yourself in that little experience? What is the one thing that a person dislikes about a larger competitor? Is it, you know, having to deal with a person that doesn't know in depth about a product? Well, provide that in-depth resource where you're not doing it to fulfill a content calendar. You're doing it because you enjoy talking about these topics and you see that there are gaps in the areas that you could address with that passion, right? And then content creation becomes a whole lot easier because you're now like, oh, you know what, Mondays I want to talk about how you can do it yourself and here's how you can work with a professional on Tuesdays. And here's how you can work with the agency on Wednesdays, right? Um, and so there's a whole lot of different ways for you to build your cadence and have fun with it. So I think at the core is empathy towards yourself. Um, have fun with it. Don't be afraid to fail. Um, and of course, iterate. Set a hypothesis. See how well it plays out. Jot down what you've learned in like a retrospective. Iterate on the next round as quickly as possible. And, yeah, and of course, solve your audience's problems. Don't just be tapping yourself on the shoulder or patting yourself on the shoulder. Tell everybody how awesome you exactly. are, which uh, a lot of brands still do. How important is a content strategy when it comes to creating a level of a brand? I mean, I, I, I know people, you know, I mean, the, the stuff I create, people watch it, they love it or they don't love it. Not everybody loves it. And that's okay, too, to an extent. Uh, you know, but even the most successful brands, they're creating an experience that people... Um, that people can, you know, they know what the brand is about. They pay attention to the brand. Uh, but, but how important is it, especially for like a newer company or one that's trying to move on up to have a good content strategy and uh, get on in a good schedule? How important is that? Ah, so this is a tricky question because it kind of involves the whole chicken and the egg theory of do I create content and, you know, no one watches it? Is it valuable? 
Um, but I think as you build out your brand initially, there should be a few things that speak to what it is that you do, um, what it is that you have some sort of level of competence in. Um, and if you're taking people on a journey, you know, what is the origin for this journey? What is the why behind it all? Um, once you can address that why, once you can address, you know, those different portions of why does it exist? Why should people show up? You know, why should they keep showing up? Um, it may not always be for everyone, but it will reach the people who it's for if you're actually gearing it towards those people. Um, there's no way you could succeed as a pastry chef if you're, you know, speaking to people who only do cookies. They're going to hate you, right? Um, they're going to be like, take a, you know, pastries over there. We, we don't want that. We do cookies over here. This is our town, right? So the funny part about life is when you really hone down on what is your audience really looking to accomplish, um, and you can kind of see in a lot of content strategies where it's just spelling out, here's what the new feature is, here's what the developers released today, oh, you can do this. And then you have another set of people who release content, let's say, once a week or twice a week, uh, but their audience is faithful, and they'll keep sharing it each and every day until the next release comes out because they're actually pulling that content in, learning something from it, um, applying it, uh, and then sharing their learnings as they go because it's geared that way. And so I would say it depends on the brand, the phase that your brand is in. Um, you know, what is your audience, total addressable audience or market that you have, right? Um, and what are the stages that you're really trying to carry them through in terms of your product or your service? Um, let's take a popular example like Tide. Right, uh, they're trying to guide people in a lot of different areas. You have the person who's just starting out to do laundry, like, how do I do this? I have no idea. Probably that young teenager, right? Mm -hmm. Mom left me at home to do this. I have no idea what to do. Um, let me figure it out. There may be something for them that they could reach. Maybe here's how you can make a laundry fun. Here's gamified way to like gain points and help your parents. Boom. Now they've secured another generation. That's a marketing strategy. Also, you can hire me for that too. Um, the second part, I think, is really digging deeper into how do we help them continue to use our products really well, right? Um, if they're using it day to day, what new adventures could they use? Um, let's say King Arthur Flower. That's a really great one. They have the unlimited thing of baking. Hey, we have bread flour for your, you know, things. Everyone's baking bread. You want to bake cupcakes or muffins? You know, you want to use this. Here are some recipes. Um, Milk, you know, milk, almond milk, soy milk. That's another good one. Here's a good way you could switch to something a little bit, you know, healthier if you're lactose intolerant. And so there are a lot of things that just really depends on where is your market? How do you want to address it? And actually, this is a really good point about voice and tone. Everyone is not Wendy's. So stop trying to be like them, right? <laughs> They've developed their own unique voice and tone, and they do it, right? Um if you, on the other hand, have a lot less risk involved that you are trying to put out there or trying to do something around, that may not be the thing that you're trying to do, right? Like you're trying to be a little bit more professional. You're trying to guide people a little bit more, be in that kind of Yoda-like language, right? Um, but not exactly that, so they can actually read it and understand. But still, you know, it really depends on who are you addressing, what stage are they at, um, and what are you trying to help them accomplish if you're introducing this product or service into their life. Absolutely. Very interesting. Of course, when it comes to content strategy, it, the answer always is it depends. 
And I didn't tell you that earlier, David. David, we that's we can't give that answer on here. <laughs> Just a joke. But it always <laughs> is. It always is. It depends. I'll give you a quick example. Uh, you know, I do a daily live stream right now. We have a daily podcast. Um, and you know what? You not everybody has to do that. You know, I'm doing it for specific mm-hmm. reasons. You know, including uh, there's a lot of interest of people being on the show. Or it's not just. I mean, I reach out to people. I find them. So it's not, you know, and then I get a lot of pitches, which most of them don't usually end up on the show. But just with me reaching out when I see things that they're saying, what happened with David here? You know, he was talking about lovable brands and I thought you guys would find it interesting. And that's kind of why we do it. Um, But does every brand have to do a daily live stream and a daily podcast? Absolutely not. Uh, You know, so think about what's what works for you. What are your goals? Um, I can tell you this, though. If you're gonna do content, it is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Even though some days will feel like you're sprinting, but you can't. It's not a 100 meter race. It's it's a couple marathons, if not more. Um, David, of course, people can find you at davidyard.com. That's yard and then with an e. dot com. Uh, it's also in the show notes. Um, if you want to get, if you want to take a look at that and, and click on over. Um, and, and he mentioned some of the things that you can hire him for. David, it was great to have you on the show. Share your knowledge, share your insights. Um, hopefully, people will take your advice and be more lovable and not just focus on the bottom line as the only measurement. Appreciate you having me on. It's always great reading and seeing your content out in the wild. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. Until next time. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win.